You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Good morning. Good morning to you. How is it going? It's going it's going really well. Yeah, really well. Yeah. That's very I think so. upbeat. Very positive. I, oh, I beat the alarm. That's good. That is always a good thing. This coffee's been lasting me. That's also good. Mm. Like the actual physical cup of coffee sitting in front of you? Yes. Or, oh, yes, yeah. so still sipping on it. Yes. That is nice. It is. I drink through my coffee so fast. I sometimes do as well. I can't I can't pretend I do not. But, <laughs> you know. It's just so good, and I just keep drinking it. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, it's gone already? Man. <laughs> then you just make another cup. Let it destroy the chemical system of your say. body. <laughs> let the caffeine flow It already, through let you. the caffeine flow through you. Well, recently... I've been doing two cups a day. That's a little unusual, actually, for you. It, very unusual. I've almost never in my life been a two-cup-a-dayer. Oh. But I got sick back in February. Yeah. And I still feel a little bit of the drag, energy-wise. Huh. So, like, when the afternoon rolls around, about 1 o'clock, yeah. I start getting really kind of lethargic. And that's been pretty consistent, <laughs> Okay, unfortunately. It's gotten a little bit better yeah. slowly over time, but mm. I have to make myself like an Americano in yeah. the afternoon to really get myself back to, you know, top form. Yeah. So, in other news, I've really grown to like Americanos even more than I ever did. I, I mean, I always kind of like them, them but yeah. <laughs> It's just good coffee because yeah. I don't do those sweetened. Like part of the idea is I not mm. only want the caffeine to kind of boost me, but like the really strong flavor. Something about that kind of shocks you awake. Yeah, it's like, for sure. Ooh, you know, like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. You shake your head and you're like, wow. <laughs> you know? Yes. So mm. anyway, yeah. That makes sense. And there you are enjoying yours. Yeah. Sweet, delicious Yeah, I had a, had a little bit, a little bit of sweetness. Just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... That's the same. It's about like one ounce of flavored creamer. Mm. And that's just enough. Just enough. Just to give it a little bit of... Yeah. There you have it. Well, on a completely different note, <laughs> nothing to do with coffee. Though maybe this person, maybe they, they needed some coffee. I don't oh, know. Oh, wow. Quite some time ago. And I can't even remember how I was reminded of this. I think somebody, I was having a conversation with somebody and they, they said something similar. I don't know. But point being, I was perusing Instagram when I saw a post from someone that I admire that contained an extended quote from a recently released book. They were talking about the book, quote, I haven't read the book, so I'm not going to mention his name. I'm not going to critique the book because, you know, that's not fair. You need to know what the author's saying and understand the argument of the book if you're going to critique it. However, the quote that was discussed at length in this post, I will, I will critique a little bit just well, for fun. Just give a little fun discussion. You know, it's presented context. Yes, yes. The presented context was there on the interwebs, exactly. which is always... <laughs> <laughs> nothing could, nothing could go, go wrong. wrong there, right? <laughs> But even like, you know, assuming the best and being very charitable, essentially what the author was saying in this quote was that Christians ought to stop worrying so much about being quote unquote right, whether that's in their theology or doctrine or whatever have you, um, and instead focus more time on simply being a loving presence in this broken world, which is all, you know, being a loving presence in a broken world is fine as far as it goes. No one's disagreeing with yeah, that. There's some attractive things here. Absolutely. But one specific line from the quote, and this is what like began raising questions in my mind, read like this. I have seen almost no lives change when we begin by, quote, speaking the truth in love. Oh, 
Okay. Well, hold on. <laughs> okay. I'm not, I, now I'm confused by the position. <laughs> right. See, I was you can expect, see now. Yeah. I was expecting like, I've seen almost no lives changed by shouting at the other person. I'm right. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. the angle that I thought he was approaching, which, yeah. which I definitely agree with that. Sure. It's a terrible oh, yeah. way to engage anyone. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if the only thing you care about is being right at the expense of other people, that is something that kind of person that you could benefit from taking a step back. Oh, yes. From your little mission. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yes. But I would have imagined that speaking the truth in love would be the middle ground. Right. Yeah. Like the the thing that C.S. Lewis talked about, it was either in Reflections on the Psalms or Mere Christianity, I can't remember which, but where he talked about like the person who really doesn't like to have to say the truth necessarily, mm. but does so for the sake of love, like, but it really like kind of almost eats them up inside. Yeah. That's the person who should be doing it. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I agree. So that kind of thing, right? But this quote, in the context it was presented, and it wasn't just in isolation, it was part of this like yeah. thing drawn out from a whole paragraph. It does kind of make you question that. Like, oh, like so you're saying we shouldn't do that. And so the general line of thinking represented by that quote, I would like to discuss a little bit because I actually think, ironically, it fails to recognize its own dogmatic nature. Mm, uh, like, <laughs> only Sith deal in absolutes. Yeah. <laughs> it is an absolute statement. <laughs> Obi-Wan's eyes turn. <laughs> <laughs> Yellow. <laughs> yeah, because I mean that the gentleman who penned this line was ironically, if at least we're we're taking his words on their surface, precisely worried about being right and in his own way he was trying to speak the truth in love like he was doing the thing yeah. that he was like I've never seen anyone's life change this way it's like well wait a minute like yeah well you're doing that now and I think sometimes this is something where you can get in some of these regresses where you're just unaware like oh I'm doing the thing perhaps that I'm yeah. not advocating for and you know and you could play there are a couple of different ways you could play devil's advocate that absolutely and I think at the bottom of that I'd want to say like if that guy was for instance like well no 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 like that wasn't what I was trying to do part of me would want to ask him like well then why like why did you write in the first like why would you do that if you didn't think that you had something true that you wanted to try to convince someone of does yeah, that make sense what drove you to yeah to doing something as serious as writing a book right yes it's a um, no small undertaking yeah yeah and i and i can kind of see that strange conflict there if i were to try to play devil's advocate i might say the author's suggestion rather than <laughs> you see, you can't even get around the yeah, it's like <laughs> is to like just to just abdicate yeah rather than to debate um, right like rather to not engage in of course even that could be debated further right so maybe it's a generous interpretation but if i think of times where we might just waylay someone right be it a fellow believer or not mm-hmm. when that goes to bitter lengths over a preferred position or even something you really do care about that is important just you know name your name issue yeah, it's like, yeah, it applies to all thing. of us then yeah totally like I think you've gone beyond the scope of what's beneficial to anyone. Absolutely. But then just to argue against myself because <laughs> yeah. what am I doing? I don't even know. <laughs> you, you could you could just hold that up to truth and love as a measure, which you yeah. know requires that you apply it appropriately. Right. I've one hundred percent heard that exact notion used as an excuse, and I can't help but wonder if, if that's where the author's coming from. I've heard this used as an excuse. Right. Yes. Yes. And that definitely can be the case. It's like the person who swears off. <laughs> curse words, but then can in a very like calm, even tone make you feel like mm. a complete worthless piece of junk. Yeah, you can still violate Just scripture. by their words. Yeah, like you can do that whether or not, you know, you're using loud curse words and people use the, I'm just telling, you know, like, I'm just telling you the truth, man, yeah, in thanks. love. I'm just telling the truth because I love you. Like, no, 
like that the love wasn't for your moral comfort. You know, you were you used some words and yeah. things that, like that had nothing to do with telling the truth. Right. You were just trying to smack somebody down. <laughs> exactly. You know, and so that is an extremely good point. And the other reason I think that this is worth talking about is because this is important for the church to understand that when we speak and when we make claims or utter exhortations, which we're bound to do, it was even I thought even like when you were trying, he's like a suggestion. It's like yeah, you can't it, get around. <laughs> like it's you're doing something. Right. And when we have to do that, we are doing that precisely because we think we are in the right in a particular situation Certainly, or in a yeah. particular viewpoint. We speak precisely because we believe that what we have to say accords with the truth. Mm. And the thing about that is that does not, of course, mean that we always are actually right. Yeah, right? No one is like that's I no one's that infallible. Yeah. Like none of us are infallible or inerrant. None of us are omniscient. Only scripture is infallible and inerrant. So when I say that we only speak because we believe that we are right or that what we say accords with truth, it just means that. It means we believe we are in the right. Mm. And the reality may be, oh, maybe we're not there. But right. if we didn't think we were, you wouldn't even bother saying anything, <laughs> right? Like, there would be no point. Right. This quote, I think, and again, I don't want to impugn this on the author because I, you know, haven't read the book. I don't know him. I don't know what his, you know, views on things are. But I do think that in general, across Christendom, this quote is a symptom of a deeper underlying issue that's actually not so much Christendom. I think it's more American evangelicalism that this issue has taken root in. Sure. And that is what I would call baptized agnosticism. Ooh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I like that. I use the word baptized and agnosticism. I love it. I smashed I them mean, together. When I say I love it, I should qualify. <laughs> <laughs> I love the alluring nature of that statement. Of those terms. Yes. Yeah, so it seems to me that there's a trend that wants to lead us as a people into a kind of foggy, misty, mysterious uncertainty about specifically what we believe as Christians and how we ought to go about confessing it. So dogmatic certainty about doctrine and faith in this sense is viewed as an unattainable pipe dream that typically only the fearful or the desperate ever claim to possess. And when I use the word dogmatic certainty, I think even that word has come to have negative connotations. Like, oh, he's so dogmatic. Yeah. Like that means like you're a rabid, crazy, you scream at everybody. I'm using it in the original sense of the word. Like dogmatics was just like a teaching, tradition, or belief that accorded with truth that you believed. Mm -hmm. And so when I say that, I mean, there's this trend, I think, that wants to say, like, I know that Christianity has taught this for, you know, like, whether it's, take an example, oh, the deity of Christ, like, he was truly God. I know that we've taught that and believed that for thousands of years, but like, can you really know? No, you can't really know. And therefore, we just really need to stop talking about it. That kind of oh, a thing. okay. Like, I do think there is this trend to say, like, it's just all so, quote unquote, mysterious that we just can't even bother talking about it. You get bored it. quick. You're gonna, yeah, you're it's like, what are you going to, and eventually it leads you to this whole, yeah. this what whole realm of, like, mind even know. Yeah. And it just doesn't end up working. And all that said, okay, I do want to be fair here. When you get folks who I think come from this position, a lot of them, I think, come from backgrounds where theological lines were so rigid that there was no room for inquiry or questions or exploration oh, at all. Totally. Like that kind of a thing, you yeah. know, where it's like, don't even question the color of the carpet, like that <laughs> level of, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, yeah. dude, like there is a lot of, I say it with reverence, but like, there's a lot of play space in Christian tradition and teaching, as long as you're within, you know, the boundary lines of piety, as the church fathers would say. So you can like, you know, explore those things. And I think people who take this line are coming from those backgrounds where it's like, they got so disenchanted and frustrated and in many cases wounded by people who were so yeah. rigid, you know, all skeleton, no flesh kind of people yeah. that it just flipped them the 
opposite direction, the opposite extreme. Yeah, I see. And so people who grew up in those kinds of environments, I think, tend to, without help, toss the whole concept of dogmatic certainty out of the window, like, you know, so many babies and so much bathwater. They're just like, no, forget that, you know? Now, but paradoxically, I think what is ironic about that is you end up trading one type of rigidity for another. Like, you know what I mean? And <laughs> I think it makes the inverse. Yes, yeah. exactly. Again, it's like only Sith deals in absolutes. It's like the, I can be absolutely certain that you can't be certain about any yeah. of this. It's like, well, wait a minute, like, <laughs> <laughs> you're doing the exact same thing that was done to you, you know, like that's no fun. So yeah, because you get certain types of theological rigidity that take issue with doubts, questions, but there's this sort of rigid baptized agnosticism, I think, that definitely takes issue with things like assurance. And I think that can be more fatal to your faith if you're not careful. And so here's what I'm really trying to get at <laughs> with all my abstruseness. If we say that we can't assert the truth of Christianity with confidence, and by implication, what that means is we can't show both other Christians or non-Christians where and when they might be in error, you know, whether that's in a belief, whether that's in sin, a matter of obedience, whatever the case may be. If we say that, what we're actually saying is that God has not revealed himself in such a way that he can be known and spoken of truly. Mm. And once again, I want to be very careful here. I doubt that the author of our troublesome quote would say that in so many words or whether he, uh, you know, he'd say like, oh, I agree with that articulation. Like, I'm not impugning that upon him necessarily. But I do think based just on the words. It's a fairly natural inference that people could get to even if he didn't believe it. Oh, right. It kind of suggests this freedom. We tend to tap into our proclivity to run wild and, and misapply how loosely we engage with things. Right. Yes. And if that inference holds up, you know, it then raises another pesky question, which is if God cannot be known and spoken of truly, then in his case, how can we know whether he's really good or that he'll really save us from destruction? You end up with this whole host of really troubling questions. And I think most people don't go on to ask those questions, which is part of the issue. <laughs> but like, if you actually follow everything to the end, it really starts shaking things up. And, uh, you know, to paraphrase Thomas Aquinas, if truth himself does not speak truth, then there's nothing true. So if we were really being good and philosophical and theological, we'd take an extended detour here into epistemology <laughs> and the study of knowledge. But since we are running long already and it's a podcast and, you know, you only have so much time, I will again only say that omniscience is not a prerequisite for reasonable and reasoned certainty about the truth and being able to assert truth claims. Because if omniscience, <laughs> if we did have to have omniscience, we couldn't even say that grass is green. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, if there is a certain way to think about how we think about knowledge, you know, like that right. sentence, isn't that crazy? But it's like, technically speaking, you cannot prove with 100% certainty your own existence to me right now. Yeah. You can't do it. That's right. You know what I mean? And then, then you get all these weird things like Elon Musk saying like, oh, we're all actually in a simulation. You know what I mean? Like, I think he has some other issues. But yeah, well, yes, you know. <laughs> but Tesla's not one of them. I mean, I'm I jealous. Love I would like one. Tesla. And that's the whole problem with like even talking about how do we know yeah. that we know what we know? Like kind there are fun, certain questions you start going deeper. Yeah, it's like you cannot, like, yeah, like you cannot get a full answer because we're not God ultimately. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and so you just run into issues with that. And I do understand, again, this is a podcast episode. Contrary to our joke, we don't have time to solve all the world's issues here. Like there's a lot more that could be said in this discussion. And there are a lot of issues surrounding this. But... I do think it's a topic that needs to be broached, something we ought to be thinking about, because I think the trend more and more in the wider base of American evangelicalism is to start saying things like, you know, like with the guy in the quote, it's like, we don't really, speaking the truth in love is not really a thing. We just need to be a loving presence. And again, I don't want to impugn that. Being a loving presence is super important. It's a huge piece of 
Christian life and Christian ministry. Mm-hmm. But that presence is supposed to eventually give way to truth yeah. in the sense that like if you're with a mourner, someone who's, you know, like I've done a, a number of funerals recently, right? In the book of Job, when he lost everything, we even take just a biblical example. He lost everything. His friends did best. He had his friends come over. They did best when they were just with him quiet for seven days. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the... That's it. And then they went off their rockers trying to be like, well, the reason this happened to you that we, and we know the reason this happened to you is because there must be some hidden sin in your life. So helpful. Thank you. You know what I mean? Like, no, 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 no. That is not the, the correct way. But eventually, you know, like if you would like go back and redo that, they could have helped Job get to the place where eventually he did say himself, he was like, I know that I will see God again in my flesh. Like that was the ultimate that's the, the truth that he's, you know, that is going to console him when it's properly applied, right? There's a proverb in the book of Proverbs. Do you like that? I think it's 2025 20, or 2520 that says, he who sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who removes a garment on a cold day. Mm-hmm. So like, again, you get into all these issues of like pastoral timing and yeah. when do you say what needs to be said? And that applies differently to people who are mourning a loss or people who are walking in blatant sin or people who are just in doctrinal error. What I'm trying to say is there are lots of areas where this works out differently. But the point is... Yes, we need to be a loving presence, but speaking the truth in love also needs to be something that's on our minds at some point, depending on when, where, and how it applies in different situations. So yeah, that's that's basically what I'm just trying to raise for us here. Isn't you know, out of the baptized agnosticism thing. And that phrase, speaking the truth in love, actually comes straight from the book of Ephesians. And the whole point of doing it, again, is not to because I think this goes back to the beginning of the discussion. There are lots of people who say they're speaking the truth in love, and what they're really trying to do is put other people down, <laughs> make themselves feel better, yeah. accrue power, whatever the case may be. When Paul says it, exactly what he says is, in Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So when you are speaking the truth in love, the purpose is to grow into Christ. That's the purpose. And so if you can keep that at the forefront of your mind and you can do it with fear and trembling, I think that's the other part of it. One more example from C.S. Lewis, he talked about if a person could read our Lord's command to love him more than father and mother, and they could read that and be like, easy, like, oh, of course, I'd love to do that. Like, easy. He's like, oh, you have other issues, basically. So he's like, you have not understood. You have not properly apprehended our our Lord's words. So yeah, if you keep that there, I think you'll do well. And this, by the help of the Spirit, you know, we must learn to do. I mean, that's right there in Ephesians 4. It's an apostolic injunction, right? Like it's something he's like, this is something we must do. But we must do it in the way that Paul says, which is to grow up into Christ. That's the point. And uh, yeah, really, if you want to sum it all up neatly, here's the point. We need to belong to Christ. Fair enough. There you have it. There's the truth. There you go. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Yeah. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Not you specifically. I mean, you listen to me, you know, in your headphones there, but to our listeners, thanks for listening. And uh, hopefully you found this content helpful and true. Yeah. If you did. Hopefully loving. And loving. Yes. You know, nobody, nobody trying to put anyone down here. We're not not yelling at you. Yeah. No, no. We're just trying to speak truly in love. Yeah. So you can grow up into Christ. (laughs) And if, uh, if, if that was the case and you want to leave us an honest five-star review. In the Apple Podcast platform. Yeah. That'd be dandy. Wouldn't, be dandy. Wouldn't that be dandy? Or if uh, <laughs> if you have uh, questions or comments, if you think we were in error in any way, mm. you can email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net yeah. or interact with us on social media. True. True. <laughs> Subtle. Now every time that word is used today, I'm going to be like, ah Hey, thanks as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time.